That group of 13 down to 12 with missing Ralph Street. Tim Robertson, goodness me, what has happened to Tim? Because he is 44 seconds. Oh my god. Magnus Tivet. Oh, oh, oh. I think he read the course wrong there. And ran the wrong direction. And it was some minutes waste there. Welcome to a brand new episode of Orienteer Pod, the last podcast of 2023. And very, very happy that the gang is back together. We've managed to capture Tim Robertson all the way from New Zealand and the horrendous time difference. How are you doing, Tim? Yeah, it was a shame to miss out on the last one, but it was pretty full on for those two weeks for me. I was on an orienteering training camp for, well, the first week was with under 23 kids. So our like development group that are focusing on jaywalk, maybe walk and the world university champs. And then after that, the junior camp, which is for school aged kids between like 12 and 17 or 18. Uh, and there, Emma and I were head coaches. So that was a full-on week with with 80 kids that we were in charge of for each of the trainings. So we were pretty smashed after that and didn't have much free time to jump on the pod. But I'm back now. Excellent. I saw that um, Ralph made some of the courses. Is that true? He did. He set the camp sprint champs, which was enjoyed by everyone, I hope. I got a lot of comments afterwards saying, well done, that was such an awesome course. And sadly had to say that it wasn't me that set the course. It was actually Ralph. So that was cool. We had uh, Gustav setting the the forest camp, uh, forest camp champs as well. But unfortunately, the forest was being cut down. So I had to reset most of it. But I left his name there. And a couple of controls were still the same. So now all the kids think that Gustav is a shit course planner. Yeah, yeah, basically. Terrible courses set by me in disguise. We also had a quote from you, Magnus, on one of the maps. Do you remember what you wrote? I remember I wrote like 40 or 50 different things. Might be one of those. Yeah, I think the one we chose was go hard or stay on your sofa. We used it for a for an evening race. That's quite cool on these, on these orienteering camps, these junior camps. Um, I was doing them as well when I was a kid growing up in New Zealand. And we have a theme for the orienteering camp. So I think the first year that we started, we had a Hunger Games theme. So all of the map borders and the trainings that we were doing were set in Hunger Games style. Uh, we did a, a race that had like a cornucopia and people had to qualify for it. And then they started and they ran into the center and punched. a. We had a single spotted ink box with about 10 people trying to punch it at the same time. And then they did loops after that. Pretty crazy stuff. And this year we had a ukula theme. Most of the kids have no idea what ukula is because we're not really close enough to hear about ukula. And the younger generation of orienteers here aren't following international orienteering until they're kind of getting close to going to jaywalk. Um, so that was quite interesting for them to see that orienteering is such a big sport in Europe. So we split into six different clubs. That's what, those were the six different groups. Uh, all of the maps were kind of based off the ukula from this year. And then we had quotes from runners from each of the clubs. So that was why Magnus's quote was on there. Panahus was one of the clubs. How about your knee? Could you do any running or 
a lot of power walking. Yeah. Now the the knees been slowly getting better, but it seems like um the the problem might not have been just the meniscus. So I'm still getting swelling on the opposite side of where they've taken away the small piece. Uh, I'm not getting pain anymore on the inside of my knee where they've done the work. Uh, that seems to be feeling quite good now. But on the opposite side, I'm still getting some swelling if I'm walking around too much. So that's a bit frustrating and feels like I'm going back to square one again. But I'm going to get some checks over the next couple of weeks here and uh, see if I can get another diagnosis for what it might be. Damn, that sounds pretty shit. Yeah, it's a bit frustrating. It's been almost a year now, so I've accepted that the that I have this injury and I'm not so worried about that, but it is quite frustrating to be here and not be able to run with Emma and, and enjoy New Zealand how I want to enjoy New Zealand. At least the weather's nice. But you can go on your bike? Yeah, I've been doing a bit of biking. Um, as long as I don't push too hard, uh, it seems to be okay. I've been in the water a lot. Um, swimming around in the waves, doing a bit of surfing. That seems to be okay as well. Is there any sharks? Uh, no, we saw dolphins the other day when we, when we went out fishing. That was quite fun. A big pot of about 20 dolphins came past three times. Magical. Caught some big fish. Fish for dinner. That wouldn't happen in the UK, where Ruth is sitting right now, I suppose. Uh, nah, no, no dolphins. Occasionally, we get things called basking sharks which come in which create a lot of excitement and they're um, quite cool at, yeah they've just got a big mouth and kind of float along chilling and there's a, a viral video of some scottish guy shouting at a killer whale in a lake but i'm not sure that's uh, I'm not sure I'm, that's true i'm quite sure that video is from new zealand actually <laughs> and it's just been dubbed over by the scottish man <laughs> he's on a stand-up pedal board right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's the one. Uh, I think that's up in Tauranga in the North <laughs> Island. Emma and I saw a, a stingray, actually, a big stingray, when we were walking around the uh, Wellington Harbour. That was quite cool. And a pufferfish. So very in in like, in, like, puffed up mode or little? No, nah, it was in streamline mode on the move. <laughs> but they still look pretty strange, even when they're not puffed up. Nice. So you go and touch it, or how does it work? No, we were up above it on a wharf looking down into the water. I thought about penguining it, but didn't want to get a spiky face. And a wharf? A wharf, yeah. You ready for some English lessons again? Do you know what a wharf is? I have no idea. It's like a bridge. A... Yeah, yeah, basically. A bridge over water. How would you describe it, Ralph? But it doesn't go all the way. It just like kind of sticks out. Well, actually, what's the difference between a wharf and a pier? Just two different ways of describing the same thing. They also call it a jetty. I think I know what a jetty is. Yeah. I have a funny story about teaching the word jetty to Emma. She thought I was saying jet ski. Two different things. Not quite similar. A jetty is a, a small wharf. Ralph, I see you in the UK. And um, I also got a hint from uh, Peter Hutkinson that you have been losing some races and competitions over there. How is that possible? Um, in my record, the UK is not very good this year, which is maybe why I haven't been running so much, but I got beaten at Sprint Scotland before European champs. And I, um, got destroyed at the Christmas score race, which is, uh, 
held in memory of my grandmother actually um so yeah it's not been a successful trip i didn't win any chocolate at the what was that a couple of days ago so very sad so it's a bit of a sore point actually so thanks peter but you did a proper attempt to win it um well of course being a runner i have plenty of excuses for why i didn't possibly win like not running fast enough and taking the wrong routes um so yeah uh yeah lots of excuses but maybe it's all part of the plan in the preparation for a walk in scotland next year if you need to learn how to win over there yeah i mean um i can lose i'm very happy to lose every single race apart from one next year that would be totally fine but maybe like winning's a habit and you just got to get in the right mindset and just believe enough and then all i'll do is win reference there for the listeners <laughs> and you're just gonna hang around until after new year's yeah i thought it would be nice to see my parents and stay at home for a bit and escape the oslo winter so i'm really looking forward to apparently when i get back it's going to be minus 20 so a bit of a 34 35 degree difference to contend with so that's uh that's going to be fun some ski orienteering maybe i I hope not but it's uh it's still better weather than in the uk well how are you giving me abuse now norwegian weather or british weather the british weather Okay. It's always bad. That's what I heard. It's it's I'm I I enjoy it. I think it's fantastic. I guess it brings us back to that question we talked about on one of the other recordings of if you enjoy wet cold or dry cold. Well, now it's warm, uh, dry, or warm damp. No, we we don't believe you. Fourteen degrees is warm. It's got to be lies. We have had a lot of storms in Denmark, and normally we get the rest of what Britain's had so far, like is that's been passing by you at some point? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it has rained a little bit, but it's not raining all the time, That that's just a misconception. You know, it's like, it's like that thing like British people just drink tea. Like we only drink like 20 cups a day. It's not, it's not ridiculous. You've been, uh, you've been building any Lego over there, mate. I could have done it. Still not uh, running, running much. I've been sitting a lot of the uh, on the spinning bike, and I think I did my longest session on a spinning bike this Tuesday. I don't know if you have any clue on how long I was going for. Maybe have a guess. Uh, more than three hours. That's right. Nice. I was quite sad we missed out on the the three by three k tradition. I was going to get out on the bike and and do it, but what's this tradition? Oh, in the last couple of years, when Magnus and I have actually been able to run, we've done a three by three kilometer workout challenge on Christmas Day. One where I've destroyed Magnus, and one where he's destroyed me. So we're one all. We've only done it for two years, I think. Yeah, so I really wanted to do it this year because I knew it would be an easy win, but I wasn't able to run for nine k. So um we'll have to wait for next year. I've already written it on my training program for 2024. But Ralph, you guessed on three hours. What about you, Tim? Well, I was going to say 60 minutes and what, 69 minutes maybe. That sounds like you went a bit longer. I was actually going for six hours. 
and then uh, cool down with a nine-minute yuck. Six hours on the spinning bike. That's got to be some kind of record. Do you think it will make me any better runner next year, having done such? Sounds like you should enter Tour de France. What did you do to entertain yourself those six hours? Like right now I'm visiting um, my parents and um, we have a barn. So we have a, a wall I can stare at at the barn with outdoor temperatures. Played some music, heard some podcast for six hours. It's quite boring. Nails are on the wall. I forgot to count them. But this is because um, I told um, Søren Trane Udum. I don't know how you pronounce his name properly in English. We discussed this last time. But I was uh, bragging about have done a four-hour session indoor on the bike. And he was like, I've done five hours in January. So um, I felt like I had to up it. Now it's standing at six hours. This sounds a bit like uh, Karsten. Maybe it, it runs in Denmark, this tradition of trying to beat each other in training. Yeah, they did something ridiculous where they were running for nine hours instead. That is a whole different game. We had him giving a, a talk on the under-23 training camp in New Zealand. It was really interesting. But he was talking about his longest training week. I think it was 33 hours. And they were be- trying to beat each other's records for the longest uh, amount of training that they'd done for a week. And they were doing things like sneaking out after dinner in the evening to get in an extra couple of hours. And it was only running those 30 hours plus. And I heard the same story from him and it was like they were running four times a day and concluded it all with some races in Norway. Which he won, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Crazy stuff. I think most of most of it was orienteering in the terrain, not just uh, running either. Well, his conclusion was the week after he was injured and that he wouldn't recommend anyone to try it. What I've heard is that they'd go out to the forest, like the group of them in a car, and they'd all go for their long run on their own and come back to the car and no one wanted to be the first person back. So if you came back to the car and no one was there, you just go and do another loop. This might not have been Garsten though, it might have been maybe Alan Morganson, one of the other Danish guys. Yeah. Alan Monson. Yeah. Alan Mogensen, Soren, Thrainer, Odom. <laughs> Was that Ooh. Thrainer? Yeah, or... It's the same letter. It's the same letter, mate. <laughs> I guess none of us should have these challenges, at least against each other. I think none of us will stay injury free doing it. Ah, but I want a listener to write in if you want, if you've cycled more than six hours on a spinning bike just to beat Magnus. I would like not to see such thing because then I will feel obligated to try and up it once again. And I don't want that. I don't recommend it on anyone. Please, someone, do more than six hours. And while you're at it, beat Magnus's time for the 200k bike challenge that we did a couple of years ago. I remember this one. That was like you challenging me. Yeah, I think so. You were not injured at the time, so um, which I were. So I went on to do it, and then you you would do it later, and then we would compare the times. And I think we were like quite similar for the first one. Okay, then you started to get a lot of excuses. I remember receiving some snaps where you 
sent me pictures of puke on the ground. Don't know if you remember. Yeah, I tried to do my 200 kilometers on gels alone, and that was not the way to go. I also made the rookie mistake of taking my first gel after about 90 kilometers. I was feeling really fresh, and then at 90, I was like, huh, I'm starting to get a bit tired. So I took this gel, or two gels, I think it was. 10Ks later, I had to have about a half hour sit down on the side of the road. I think that's about where Magnus got these Snapchats he just mentioned. And my other rookie mistake was planning a route where I went 100 kilometers away from my house. <laughs> so I had 100 kilometers back, no matter which way I rode. Uh, yeah, probably one of the most brutal trainings I've ever done. Somehow I managed you, to make it home. I don't know if I would classify it as training. This is like a virtual competition. Yeah, I was going all in, fighting for my life. I remember I was so hammered for a lot of days afterwards because I was going as it was a race so i think uh, the last two hours killed me quite a bit what did you average it was quite impressive 30 31 k's an hour 32 31 32 i think i remember it was quite cold um and i didn't know if i should make my activity public because then you would know the time and have something to target but i felt like it was such a big achievement to do to do such a stupidity so I just shared it anyway. I think my greatest excuse is that you had um, someone riding with you for the first 100Ks. Yeah, but I had to drag him because he thought we were going for a nice, easy ride. I think he, <laughs> he was quite pissed. We got to tell him it was a race. Exactly. So during he was just sitting on me, but it was important to me. We'll go for 300Ks next. And I think, didn't Mila Snukudim also buy in on the challenge? And I think he actually went for yeah he, he was doing some really long rides at the time i think that was what gave me the idea actually was following his driver or he was maybe just running to an okay yeah it might have been that he's done that as well uh for me th there was a big difference though between the 150k mark and the 200 mark i've done quite a few rides up to 100 and that feels okay but anything further than that starts to hurt yeah my respect to the tour de front riders it's pretty brutal. Yeah, imagine getting up the next day and doing that again. Three weeks. Nope, no way. Ralph, are you ever up to something um, like this? Something really stupid like this? Not anymore. I'm not allowed to do do that. Do have any fun like that? I remember in Uganda, we were actually quite keen on joining on Mount Elgon, the 3,000 meter elevation 45k thing. But your coach told you off. Yeah, he said, um, like, if you run up that mountain, I'm not going to coach you anymore. So, um, yeah, I didn't run up the mountain. And who won the World Cup in Czech Republic? It was Ralph. All because of not running up Mount Algon. I was sick for three months instead. But it did get some awesome content. It was fun, though. It was quite exciting to have um, Thomas Krifter on. What's she doing? What are you doing? Oh, my phone just went nuts. That's all right. I turned it off. No, it was quite exciting to have Thomas Krifta on as our first guest. I just saw um, his touch base in uh, China yesterday, and he was going for a run with um, our next guest on this episode. There's a connection between our guests. They have to like run with each other. Yeah, today's 
guest or this episode's special guest is Aistan Kralostebo, Norwegian national team runner, member of the same club as me, uh, Bekelaget in Norway. So I was able to catch up with him a couple of weeks ago and really grateful for the time that he gave me. So let's have a listen to what we had a chat about. Awesome. Hello, Einstein. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to our re recording studio here. Very Thanks. Nice. It's nice to join you. Very, very good that you're here. Just, I think I've told you this before, but I wrote in my training diary in 2010 um, about the best day of my life, which is I was on a training camp in France, and I've written, the Norwegian team arrived with Lundanes, Kralos de Bo, Malakas and Norberg. It was brilliant. So it's very cool to have you in my apartment now. Great. And I think I mentioned that to you when we ran Norwegian Champs together, together with Carl, uh, together with Carl in some years ago. And actually, you wrote to me before, like when I was thinking about joining Bekelaget. I don't know if you remember. You were like, oh, I'd be really cool if you join and we can try and win Norwegian champs, which we haven't done yet. No, but it's still possible. It's still possible. Good. So, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. Um, I'm not really sure what we're going to discuss, but we will start at least with... You've done a lot of sprint orienteering. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, do you remember when you first did sprint orienteering? Yeah, I I know that in Trondheim we had this called Trondheim Sprint Cup. It's a bit it's the same like this City Cup in yeah. Oslo and Stockholm. And I think Trondheim was the first city who had it in '93. Okay, I'm born in '81, so I was 12 years old. Okay, and the youngest category was men up to 12. So yeah, I, I I won it overall. Okay, when I was 12. And at that time, it wasn't any beginner's course. It was the same course for everyone. So I did the same course as the, uh, the seniors. Okay. So, uh, that's my first memories of sprint yeah. orienteering. So maybe I started or was born just in time to join the sprint almost from the beginning. Yeah. So you, I, you're pretty good at sprint and have been very good at sprint. Can you just quickly go through some of your best results? Yeah, the best I've been number four in the world champs yeah. two times in 2010 when it was on my home ground in Trondheim and also that was the second time I was four the first time was in Japan in okay. 05 and I've been six sometimes my first world champs was in 2004 in Sweden then I was number six okay I think it was eight seconds from the gold so close close already close that and when I've been from before, I've been yeah, one second from the bronze. And in Trondheim, I was three seconds from the gold. So I've been been close sometimes. Yeah, yeah. We might. And yeah, I also have been, I was winning this Nordic championship. Yeah. Before it was yeah, not organized anymore. And I've been winning this Parkville Tour overall. when it was still like an overall competition. And I have one World Cup victory in sprint. So, okay. Yeah student world champs two times been winning so yeah that's the best results good 
I'd like to actually start with that Park World Tour. I remember seeing some videos of people climbing over walls and jumping across cars and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what what is Park World Tour yeah. and what it was like in the start? Yeah, I, I, I've been climbing walls. Okay. I, I remember I said that back in the good old days, before this forbidden futures come, everything was allowed. So I was missing these times. <laughs> it was maybe not so fair because you needed, you needed to do some risk. Like if you saw a wall on the map, you didn't know if it was possible to climb it before you arrived. Yeah. And some people maybe got injured yeah. jumping down. So I remember one race in China where I was climbing. I was climbing too many walls. Okay. Sometimes I maybe saved some time, but sometimes I... Yeah lost time so okay. in the overall i'm not sure if there was the wisest but yeah you could like maybe run through uh through through water or uh, also one time they had pl- placed the controls inside these flower beds with this olive green so you, you, you they, they told like you're allowed i think the olive green was you were not allowed to pass but then i said you need you're allowed to pass it in this race because okay. the c- controls are actually inside the flower beds but try to don't damage the flowers more <laughs> okay. than necessary but it was price money, so of course you didn't want to run too long extra. Yeah, a lot of a lot of prize money. I think around that time it was often around five hundred euro okay. for the winner. So it's it's yeah, it's quite much yeah. enough that you yeah yeah don't want to lose too much time. And you mentioned China. Have you? got to go to lots of other kind of i guess exotic countries with park world tour yeah i've been in china more than 10 times okay yeah first time was in 2004 and then i was almost every year for a while it wasn't organized every year but sometimes i've been there also twice twice a year so but normally it was organized in end of october after the World Cup season was finished home in or in Europe, so it was. I I, I liked it a lot. I yeah. liked to travel to new places, so yeah. I, I thought it was a nice, like off season. You went there, did some sprint races with prize money. It was some nice um, banquets, so yeah. it was a nice mix. Yeah, in of traveling and uh, racing and partying in the yeah. end of the season. Yeah. I've had a tip from an anonymous person to ask you about Park World Tour in Morocco. Apparently, you ended up in a living room to someone, and everyone followed you in there. Yeah, uh, it was actually not the parkour tour race. Okay. I was in a training camp camp in South Spain in Baibata. Yeah. And we went one day to Morocco. Yeah. And yeah, it was they made the course as a mass start. Okay. Uh, I think it was actually two, we split the group in twice, so half the group was sent out with one control each just like stand on the controls because ex- the controls would be stolen yeah <laughs> so uh, maybe i wasn't the first group who was running first so i uh, anyway i was ending up leading the group and it was really narrow streets with a lot of people so i was in the front yeah and everyone followed me and the map was okay but i'm not i think it was made from google maps or something not, yeah so it wasn't so accurate so i i was following a lot of narrow streets and then i thought no i'm really close to getting out on this big square and then the street just ended inside the house with yeah. some stairs and i thought okay i maybe will come out so this i could either go up and down i went up the stairs and then i came into the living room or someone <laughs> eating dinner or something <laughs> 
and I just said everyone turn 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 and it was like 15 people so I needed to wait to everyone had got the message and turned and then we needed to go uh, back a long long way around so uh, that's actually the, the first and also last time I've been running in Morocco. I think it was in Tangier. Okay. So it was just a boat ride from Spain over. Yeah. But yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was exciting. But some people, oh, I hated this trip. I, I'm so glad we're back to right. the civilization in okay. Europe. And I thought, wow, this was a great experience. Yeah, yeah. Me. No, it sounds fun. So yeah, Really was, fun. So I, I, I wanted to go back there. Yeah. I think actually I saw that Sunno wrote this year about these training caps that, that they had some maps in in Morocco. Yeah, I saw a Portuguese guy was organizing kind of altitude training camps as well. So I've thought about Morocco maybe as a like don't have to go so far and probably good conditions in like January February. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I have yeah. never been there. I've been on yeah. some altitude camps. So I, I talked with Yannick Michels about. Yeah. Morocco as an okay. as an option. Okay. For somewhere to go. Maybe next year. Do some sprint orientation. No, fun. Any other uh funny sprint experiences? I, th- I think many of the like memories is from like exotic places like yeah. you said in uh, yeah. As I, like I mentioned in, in China, especially China, but also in maybe other uh yeah, countries. I've been running the world games in both Taiwan and Colombia, yeah. and yeah, I was on Zanzibar once. Morten Bostrom, he's, uh, he was a world champion in thirteen in sprint in Finland. He was living there some years earlier, at the year earlier in, in twelve. His okay. goal was the Olympics in marathon okay. in London. He aimed for that. So I, I visited. I was in Kenya for altitude training, and I visited him. So then we ran also sprint in this stone. Stone, what was it called? Stone Town, this old okay. town. It, it was a bit like Morocco with okay. this really narrow streets. Really like, and it's the type of sprint I really like with yeah. a lot of narrow streets. And it's not really, uh, it's possible to go quite straight to the line, but you need to re- be really careful on the map re- map reading because it's a lot of turns. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's like this exotic places is maybe some of the best memories I have from orienteering. Okay. It's yeah. maybe not the world championships I remember most. So also oh the world championship I remember like I we were in Ukraine in two thousand seven, like uh, in Kiev. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought, thought more about it the last year yeah, since the course. war, of course. And but uh, I, that was so, like uh, I really liked to get to this a bit more like yeah different places yep. to, ex, compared to like Sweden, Norway, Finland, where I also run the world champs. Yeah. So I like the Eastern European countries and also I, I like I run the world champs in Japan, as I mentioned. But also the preparations, like we went to training camps and uh, before. Then you maybe have time to see a bit more on the world champs, you're more focusing on only the performance races. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in Kia, we went to a concert with AHA, the Norwegian okay. band, famous for Take On Me. So we didn't know about the concert before the same day. We saw some advertisement, AHA is playing here. So we, yeah, we went for a concert. That's cool. the only time I've been on a concert with AHA. <laughs> okay. That's in Kia. No, you're right. I mean, that's like you get to travel to all these fun countries, but you see 
a random village the inside of your hotel room or something yeah, in the forest. And that's what like like compared to like athletics runners they go on this training camp the same place every yeah. year to Monte Gordo in Spain in Portugal every Easter or the same place and I that's what I like with orienteering that you see a lot of places you would never never go to yeah. as a either tourist or yeah. like a normal sport person. Do you want to talk anything more about some of the Park World Tour stuff? It's mostly in, mostly been in in China actually, and yeah. sometimes in Italy also. And, and yeah, I didn't remember. I didn't know that there were so many that there have been so many races in China. First time was in two thousand four. I think I've been there on, like I said, more than ten times. Every, yeah. I thought it was like southern Italy, and, and uh, I guess every time in China it's been between three and five races, so yeah. maybe forty. On this, it came this anniversary book for Park World Tour okay. two years ago, and on that list, on doing most races, I was the second. I was one race behind Yuri. Okay. <laughs> okay. So maybe that's a motivation for me to go there. Uh, yeah. This year, because then I would would pass him. I think in points, I'm still behind. Or in a, in total victories, I don't remember. I think Janek has also quite many victories. Yep. But to get more races, you need to keep on yep. quite a long time. As yeah. long as I keep on, <laughs> it's hard for him to catch. But Park World Tour was kind of the big thing for sprint orienteering before it got into the World Champs? Yeah, or? from yeah, I would say that... They started in 96, yep. and then I think would say like 98 to 2002 maybe, or 2001 was like the best years. It was maybe most yep. prestige, most prize money. They yep. had some big sponsors like Ericsson and SAS, the flight yep. company. So then you could get a quite good income if you were doing well. Yep. It was quite much money in each race, yep. maybe like thousand euro. Yep. And overall, it was maybe ten thousand euro. Yep. So if you won many races, and overall you could get maybe twenty thousand euro. Or uh, and you you were in on these years? No, it was just before me. Okay. Uh, my first race was in two thousand and two, when I was a first year senior. Yeah. Then I was racing in Czech. Uh, and then also I've raced during Oringen, and it was the final was in Italy that year. So my, my first time in China was in 2004, uh, and, f- and then I came second overall. Okay. And the following year in 2005, I came, uh, I won overall. Then 2005 is the last year, it was like your overall ranking okay. with price money overall, okay. so... Um, yeah, that's the year I got like yeah. say, most prize money because I won like four single races and overall. Yeah, and we got all the money in cash. <laughs> so on the hotel room, we got this hundred notes. Yeah, I think hundred Chinese is the same as ten euro. Yeah, and I guess I won like twenty thousand overall and a few races with five thousand in each. So I had, and I I stayed in the room with a. Um, Australian runner David Brickley Jones and he came second overall and won some of the other races so we uh, we had this uh, it was so <laughs> we took some pictures 
in a briefcase the money or just uh... Uh, I, I took them home okay yeah i'm not sure what was the limit you could bring home okay uh, maybe it was i think like it's like two or two thousand euro or something you yeah could, uh, maybe it was slightly i've spent some money on shopping there so i yeah. maybe i had it for some time i took some of them i sold to a friend who was going on holiday and the rest i took with me when i was going back and yeah. spent on shopping then so i yeah, I maybe spend most of the price money on buying fake <laughs> stuff in, in the mark, silk market. <laughs> Good. Um, what I thought uh, I should ask you is like how do, about the development of sprint orienteering? Obviously, you saw it quite early and then got to do Park World Tour and then did well at World Champs and competed internationally for many years can you like what how's sprint orienteering changed and what, do you think things that are important now were not important then or just it's it has changed but not so much uh, the first world champs was in 2001 in finland that was a really simple course it was in the forest yeah. with eight controls i think and mostly path running it was maybe two options which path path you should take that was the first World Champs. And the next was in Switzerland in 2003. Then I was a reserve. Um, but that was a real city sprint. It could be in the World Champs course today, I would say. Okay. It was an old town in Switzerland with yeah, short legs, narrow streets, some route choices. Yeah. So, and my first World Champ, like I said, was in 2004, the following year in Sweden. Yeah. That was a forest sprint, so it wouldn't be a sprint today. And it was really tight. I was, like I said, sixth, eight seconds from the gold. So it was a really tight race. Yeah. And the following year was in Japan. That was also a city, a forest sprint, really hilly. And, but after that, it's been more like it could be today. It's been so development, but like the last 10 years, 15 years, I would say, it's been not so much. Of course, you have this artificial barriers that's been more normal to use. But uh, sometimes you maybe not need it. If you have like a really old town in a historical city, it should be possible to make it tricky enough, of course. But of course... Today, people are prepa are preparing more. It maybe started in 2014 when it was the sprint in Venice. The, the Danish team had prepared really well. Then Søren Bubak won and also Tullasen got the bronze medal. So, Was that a shock for you when they wrote about how much they prepared? Yeah, maybe. I was actually in the qualification race. I started together with Søren. And I met him at the fifth control and I thought, ah, oh, I'm still together with Søren. This isn't going too well. <laughs> and then I did some big mistake and I qualified with a few seconds margin. Yeah. And Søren ended up winning the race. So yeah. I thought, okay. <laughs> so it was a surprise for me that they was doing so well. And also maybe I heard, but I, I'm not sure. How, at that time, I didn't think it maybe was helping too much. I had been running in Venice several times, so not so much in that part because it was a bit outside of Midmont. But I'd been running this, they had this Venice orienteering meeting every yeah. November, and I'd been there several times running it. So I, uh, I was in one way quite confident in what we were going to meet. But yeah. 
Also the following year, it was World Champs in Scotland. There you were allowed to walk around. In Venice, you were not allowed to walk around, so then you need to use Google Maps and old maps mm. or a Google Street, street View. But um, I know in Scotland, they had been living close in or in the town where the World Champs was for okay. like several weeks, spending several hours a day walking around in the streets, yeah. going back to the hotel, looking at the map. Yeah. Like, and then walking out in the city and I... It's not the thing I'm been I'm most keen on spending too much time. No. So in, in one way, I, I thought it was nice when it was embargoed at least because then you didn't feel that you... Like I said, when it was World Champs in Trondheim, I was number four. Yeah. And I was three seconds from the gold. Yeah. And then it was not embargoed the, the, the streets were not embargoed it was yep. a castle with some forest that word was embargoed yep. but i hadn't spent much time uh, i've been walking a little bit around i've been around this the area but i had spent more time looking on old maps but afterwards i thought about could have i have used this home ground to prepare better but I'm not sure and if it had if it helps like I have a feeling if you if you're pre- prepared too much you're really prepared for how you think it should be but the competition map is maybe some they have maybe opened some private area where you can pass or they have closed something that was allowed to pass on the old map so it's a bit risk also that you are like too to prepare to if you see a leg like you think you know okay it's two options and then maybe one of the options is blocked and it's a, it's a third option or a better option so it's my feeling is that i i often done better on this like park world tour races in china or when i go to some exotic places and you haven't really a clue on what you're meeting you just get the map and do the course like at least I, I didn't feel it was necessarily that I did better if I was preparing more. So, uh, but it may be just an excuse I used to don't spend too much time because yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of sitting in front of the computer with Street View and looking on yeah. Yeah, these things. Yeah. But I think like to have in Trondheim we had we had the old map that was good and we had prepared a lot of legs, so I was. Uh, I was prepared for the main route choices and yeah, to execute them. It's not so, I'm not sure if it has helped to uh, yeah, walk around or street view around them. It's, you're, you're, you're able to take right or left in the, <laughs> in the crossings. And yeah. So that, that's my thought about that. Yeah. Good. Um, just as a, like, You've now meant you've been close to these medals, and I was quite close this year. Just to brag to the listeners, uh, any like thoughts or advice about like being close to medals and next going into next season? No, I remember in Trondheim, I said when I was number four, some people said that on the prize giving, I looked. They had never seen me looking so unhappy okay. before, and I was really, really like annoyed. I, I did one route choice mistake. It was some bridge you could either go under the bridge and over, or 
and I knew I knew really well about the two options you had, and I took the other uh, slightly weaker options. Maybe I lost five seconds, maybe three, four, because the leg was a bit different than the leg that looked about. So I thought, ah, maybe this other option is better when the leg is like this. So. Like people, was like said, my coach, like oh, why didn't you? You should know about this leg. And I, I was like, I lived in the city. Some some years later, I was was working in the city center, so I was passing this bridge almost daily when I was running to work. And it took some time to go, don't don't get annoyed. Like it took some years or even more, maybe ten years now, <laughs> before I started to think. Okay, I it I did a really good race. I did this one like five second mistake. It was more or less the only mistake I did during the course. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that closer to a medal you are, that more critical you are about your own per performance. In the end, you can like find one or two second mistake and yeah, like you, yeah, you were, I don't remember one second from the medal this year or yeah. It's, Close, yeah. So it's, uh, but you should maybe appreciate that you actually did a really good race and was really close. So. And I don't think it would have changed my life if I was, yeah, get the medal or winning, winning. I, yeah. of course, it could have been nice to be a world champion, but yeah. it's uh, maybe then I would be happy. I've, I've been running on or training on a high level longer than I thought. Even if I always maybe have had a quite long, I, I haven't really planned like I would retire in a few years. But maybe it made me have the motivation to compete longer. Maybe, but maybe I would still, I'm not sure. I, I, like, I like to compete, and as long as I had a possibility, I think it's nice to try to compete with the best. Yep. What's the next competition then? Ooh, the last season hasn't been good. Like it was COVID in 2020, and then I, 2021, I was not qualifying for the European Champs was close and I had some injuries I broke my shoulder two years ago but 2022 I was still able to run okay in 2022 last the last year I got the injury in my back yep. uh, prolapse so it's but still I, ha I, I still I'm aiming for international yep. races so yeah next year the, the, the World Cup in the spring in uh, Switzerland and then Italy is the first gold yep. the World Champs seems less realistic uh, so yeah but uh, also the two last years I had to run international for Norway so even if I'm getting older or are too old most people would say it still motivates me to try to show that yeah. it's still possible but at the moment I'm still struggling with injury so I need to be healthy if you're not yeah I, I know how you need to train to do well yeah and if the body is not able to train yeah well it's not yeah you're not able to compete with the best. Yeah. No, good. Thank you. The only thing I've got left is, yeah, you've competed internationally for Norway in orienteering, ski orienteering, which we maybe don't need to talk so much about. I'm not sure how many of the listeners uh, are interested in that, but also be a mile. Can you... Uh, Tell us what is what is beer mile and uh, why? Why? 
the first beer mall I did was one year ago, yeah. in September last year. First, I, I, I have some friends from Trondheim who have done it. This um, beer mall world classics, it's called. It's like the world champs. So I, I said for some time, some like two years, that I, I would like to try it once. So, uh, but it like never really fits in the in the season. So in I think it was in September last year I said I can give it a try, and it went quite well. I think my time was five um, five thirty around that. You need to yeah. The concept is that you need to drink a beer, run a lap on the track four meters. Drink a second beer, run a lap, and do that four times. So we run a mile, that's 1,609 meters, and we drink four beers. Uh, so yeah, I thought like if, if, I, if I drink the beer in like 15 seconds and run the lap in 75 seconds, that's a bit slower than 3.00 pace a kilometer. Then you should use 90 seconds each lap. So if you do that four times, it's six minutes. Yep. So that was my, like my goal. but. I realized I was doing it a bit quicker, maybe both drinking maybe in 12 seconds and running the laps closer to 72. And also the last lap I was able to run quite much faster, like 60 something. So uh, yeah, at least the time was good enough to qualify for the Norwegian team. And yeah, the beer mile world classic last year was in uh, Belgium in Leuven. And I'm a quite good friend with Anik Michels who lives there. So I thought I can combine it with visiting him and do this. So I don't, it's not really, uh, I don't say I'm, I'm proud of it, but I, some people would say it's had nothing with sport to do, to drink alcohol, but I, I looked at it like a, like a competition, it's, uh, but it was a social activity, like I said, also when I went to China in October, uh, so the, the race in, in Belgium was in October, so it was a nice season ending trip with yeah, the beer mall race and the banquet. Uh, yeah. Can you um, tell? Do you know? Do you know what the word bromance means? Uh, yes. Can you tell us about your? Do you have a bromance with Yannick? And can you tell us a little bit about training with him? I guess he people might, if they follow you on Strava or Instagram, they see quite a lot of trips you two together to places, training camps, and yeah, the last years we've been on quite many training camps, and also longer camps, so. The first time I really talked with him was in 2015. I went to this Antwerpen Sprint O meeting, this awesome. It was the first edition. So he uh, he invited me there. And he uh, I stayed at his, his place for some days. I had seen him some years earlier, I remember on this mock in Italy, and I wondered who this strange guy who was totally alone. I felt a little bit sorry for him, maybe. We were in, in Rome for this mock and took the metro, and he was like, or I saw he had some volunteering clothes, but I wondered who is he? Like, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I had known who he was for a few years, but, and he was doing slightly better also on Uring in one year, I think, on the sprint. He was five or six. Maybe he was five and I was six, so he was the last getting some prize money, and I was the first one who didn't get prize money on the sprint, I think, yeah. So uh, he was improving and doing well on orienteering. So um, 
But I, and I visited him in 15, we talked, he talked about altitude training. So in 16, we went to South Africa together for um, for like three weeks. So we've been in South Africa four times in, in total. And also, so, uh, yeah, it, it, like I said, it, he was maybe a bit like lonely in the, in the Belgian team. And he was, yeah, it worked quite well. We were quite, maybe I'm... I'm I'm quite flexible, so I he said like it's nice that you if I have a plan you you join it. Yeah. If you have two people who know exactly what they want to do, it's not so easy to to cooperate. Definitely. So yeah. So yeah, we've been on also going to other other competitions together. So um, yeah, I, he said he said like actually when he was like starting with orienteering he like had me like no maybe not as an idol but he was watching on world of oh i had this quite big i had this blog and this map archive with a lot of maps so he was like looking at all the exciting places i went to like maybe china and stuff i think the first time he was in china was in 13. yeah already then he did well he actually he won a race i remember in, in 13 so uh, i'd known him for some year before 15 but yeah, so now it's almost 10 years. Wow. Yeah. But now no, he has a yeah, family and two children. So but still, still he's traveling a lot. And still he's there. He's maybe traveling more than me. <laughs> um, I should probably ask you, like, what I've asked you what's next, I guess. Yeah, I haven't did it, talked with many about like no. I told someone that I was aiming for World Cup next year and they sounds quite surprised like yeah. oh you really aiming for World Cup yeah but, that's, uh, um, I feel there's like quite a lot of speculation around there's always speculation around people so it's quite yeah. good to hear sort of clear I, mean, I, I heard some uh, podcast with some Norwegian runners yeah. like and I thought like I, I don't I didn't have any clue about what they thought about the future. So yep. in one way, it's it's better to get a clear answer than yeah, yeah. to, like you said, speculating about. Yeah, yeah. Not good. Now those are my five points I've got uh, done. Um, Typical question is like why, like sprint Norway in in Norway? How is there any prestige or like? Does everyone in Norway hate sprint orienteering or why? Uh... Do, you, do you think people in Norway hate sprint no, orienteering? No, it's not. <laughs> but I think lately it's maybe more uh, like the younger runners. It's more people who want to focus on it than like yeah. 10 years ago. Do you feel, were you the only one in Norway? Yeah, for some time I felt like a bit like lonely. I wouldn't say, but it, that, that could actually be a reason that I was starting to travel with... Yannick, because yeah. both of us focusing on sprint, and we maybe had some. Yeah, he was a stronger runner than me, and maybe in, yeah, in the beginning I was maybe better technical than him. But now he's really good at everything, and I'm shitty at most things. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> I don't know how much value it has for him to train with me anymore. <laughs> but it's yeah. So. Uh, yeah, for some time I felt a bit like lonely. Like I qualified, I ran the world champs 15 years in a row for Norway. And it wasn't that I was extremely good every year. 
I was on a good level. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit proud of it in one way because at least I, I managed to stay healthy and injury free every year to qualify. Uh, but some years it was the competition was weaker. Uh, no, it's definitely a tougher competition to qualify, and more people who really aim for it and prepare. There can't be that many other runners, regardless of what country they've run for, who've managed to do that. No. Do you, do you have stats on this? Is this a good quiz question? Yeah. I, um, me and Daniel Hoogman, yeah, we, uh, we did the World Champs, but he's from a strong country. Yeah. But he was injured. One year he broke his Achilles. Yeah, yeah. And it was World Champs in Switzerland. So this year was his first World Champs in Switzerland. And it, uh, like I said, in, in 03, I was a reserve and he was still a junior. So he... I think he uh, he ran as a first year senior in uh, 2004, but for some of the smaller nations, it's people who run who have run uh, every year for a really long time. Okay. But of course, you need to you need to be uh, healthy enough to start. Yeah. Like in Norway, we had Anna Margrethe Hauskin, but she was she got three children, so she it was uh, three years she was out because yeah. she was pregnant. Do you have, uh, we've talked about Daniel quite a bit on the podcast as being really good at orienteering. How many times, do you know, like, do you got any stories about Daniel that that are safe to share on the podcast? No. <laughs> we talked about China, that's not a good story, but I I remember he told me some years ago that he he, he had never been, uh, he was at the World Cup final in China in 19, but he'd like, he had never went to Park World Tour okay. because it wasn't really fitting, and then he got children, and then it was a bit difficult, so he was regretting a bit that he hadn't taken the opportunity to yeah. uh, to go to China for this Park World Tour races. Yeah. But uh, Daniel is, I, I really uh, respect him. Like he's, he's been good for so long time and doing good in, in every, every disciplines from uh, sprint to long distance. Uh, also Kubitz has been it lately, but the years before you had like Olav and Thierry, but they was mostly for forest runners. Yeah. And since I like sprint, it's maybe a runner who also prioritize sprint. Yeah. Get more, uh, yeah, do you think we're going to see more people being just very good at sprint? Yeah, I would guess so. It would be natural. But still, we have like the last years, we have like Kasper and Kubert have been the best in sprint and winning the championships. And yeah. they're focusing on everything. So it still, it feels like it's, it's not necessary. But other runners doing well in sprint is like maybe runners focusing more like Janek, Tim, some of the Swedish younger guys. Yeah. And I, I, I like and I haven't been on that level myself, but I, I, I also tried to be focusing more on sprints the last uh, for a longer time, like ten years, but I'm I'm not I haven't really done any better in sprint. I did maybe better in sprint in the results when I was focusing also more on the forest but you okay. can say at that time it was maybe a lower level in sprint but I feel it's in sprint you can meet so many challenges like it could be so many types of a sprint I think that's that that's like nice it, it 
doesn't always need to be a city sprint. It could be some forest. It could be some, yeah. It could be more hilly. It can be stairs. It can be narrow streets, bigger streets. So uh, that's what I like. I like with orienteering that it's you get you get different challenging challenges every time. So and also, yeah, if if you are running more in the forest, you maybe get a bit more variation in the training a bit. But yeah. of course, if you want to do really good in a quite flat city sprint, you it should be an advantage to train. <laughs> specific and relevant for it and how that's the, your main focus of course great thank you very much should we actually try and finish there yeah okay you're done yeah okay good thanks Einstein. yeah thanks for letting me join you once again thank you very much to Einstein for that lovely chat and for staying in my house and keeping me company for a couple of days um boys what what do you think of that super cool really interesting to listen to uh i met western the first time in china so i knew a few of these stories it was fun to reminisce about some of those days and i also like yannick followed his map archive that was one of the coolest things um when i was based over here and wanted to see cool European maps to go onto his Doma and check out all the awesome races he was doing around Europe. So it's fun to hear him talk about that as well. Yeah, I think China was the first time for me as well, meeting him. And he has always been a big guy in the orangeering in the, since I was a little kid. So when I was following world chaps and stuff, he was always there on the list. And it's fun, he's still still around. I was shocked to hear that his beer mile time is 10 seconds faster than mine. So I've got some training to do. We might have to do a orienteer pod beer mile at some point. Beer mile challenge. Very excited for that. Only problem is Ralph doesn't like to drink beer and Magnus can't drink very fast. I think I've improved quite a bit of that. You've been training. We'll have to make this happen then. I was quite surprised to hear that. The first sprint started to ar arrive in like 1993. I thought it was much later. Pretty epic. He has been joining on that from the early days. That's what I thought was cool. Was sounds like he's had the same like, exposure to sprint than that Tim has. Like doing the like big boys stuff from a really early age. Maybe that's part of the secret to being good at sprinter and tearing is getting that exposure when you're. 12 years old or something yeah that was cool because a 12 year old in norway these days would never run the same course as the men's elite so young boys should just spar with the seniors like it that won't be the secret what did casper do do we know that he must have run up some age grades in norway i remember he won the work silver in norway as a junior so i guess he's been pretty early to get some matching with the seniors I think just to be really boring, it can be difficult with like traffic rules, at least in Britain. I don't think they're allowed. They have to be older than 16 before you're allowed to cross a road safely. You do a test and get a crossing the road license. Yeah, we had these like hedgehogs that would always look left and right and then cross the road. Did you have to do another test when you moved to Norway? The opposite um, side of the road? Well, that's the scary thing about coming back to Britain is suddenly like it takes me 
a couple of days to adjust to where the cars are. Actually, I had a bit of a scare yesterday. I went for a little mountain bike. Came off um, some single track onto a small road, but still two lanes. And found myself riding along the right-hand side of the road. I've been here for almost a month, so no excuses, really. And these are my home roads, so I know them really well. And then I saw a car coming straight towards me. I was like, huh, that's a bit weird. What are they doing on this side of the road? Suddenly realized, crap, I'm on the right. Road across the left. Luckily, that was a straight piece of road. I saw them from a long way away, but gave me a bit of a surprise, a bit of a shock. So can be tricky. Maybe this is the big problem waiting for national teams training for world champ sprint. Just getting cleaned up across these roads in Scotland. Yeah, that'll be the real hometown advantage. Knowing which way to look when you come out onto the roads. I need to get training. He's like, we can't remember anyway. I need to just get integrated. I need to play like, I don't know, just do a lot of like Sim City or something. Get in the mindset of the cars. How old do I have to be to play that game? Is it before me and Tim's time? You never played Sim City? I studied town planning at university, so it was basically my degree. I'm pretty unsure if I've ever played it. Have you planned any towns, Ralph? Any real ones? Uh, nah, because, nah, just to be really nerdy, like British town planners don't plan towns. They decide what's allowed to be built or not. Oh, that's disappointing. Sad. Thought there Very might be sad. A, a Ralph Street. So they just decide if there should be a carpet in the bathroom or not? I mean, it's probably technically not in like not in my scope. How old is the Oyster now? He's 40, 41? Yeah. Do you think he will manage to get into more World Cups? It would be really fun to see him again on the World Cup scene. I think so. I mean, Norway's got Norway's got nine spots, and it's pretty close between all of the guys, I think. So it's definitely possible. And he's like motivated and like full in for it, so he's working hard. It was also interesting hearing him talking about his favorite types of terrain, and it is... Very similar to what I'd expect um, the Swiss and Italy World Cups to look like, and also World Champs in Scotland. So kind of bit hilly, narrow, tight alleyways, some stairs. These are the type of sprints that, that suit him. So as long as the selection races are something similar, he might have a good shot. Definitely. Also fun to hear his Moroccan story going into the living room. Maybe there will be some of that. For the next events. Have you end, ever ended up anywhere weird in a sprint race? I was close to walking Riga. I think there was a lot of guys running into a restaurant when there was like a television uh, or like a camera following, following you. But I didn't end up on the restaurant. But I definitely saw down the staircase and was very tempted. I don't know if Tim went down there. No, I... Saw that you needed to go left halfway through that alleyway, luckily. But I've got a fun story I can share from a good friend of mine, uh, Ross Morrison, New Zealand Orienteer, from the World Games in Poland. Uh, we were doing the sprint relay, which was run, run around a zoo. One of the controls was in front of a, um, like a cage where they keep the monkeys. And he was on the third leg, so by then quite a few people had gone past and the monkeys were starting to get a bit like agitated and 
a bit annoyed at the runners running in front and he had monkey shit thrown at him from the cage that's on camera <laughs> and basically you see him coming into the control this monkey hurls its shit over the wall of the cage it kind of lands on his arm and you can see him like dry wrenching as he's running away from the control and then he disappears into the forest you think you'll be able to find this clip i'll find it somewhere it's a little bit um bad quality and a bit hard to see what's happening but you can see him look down at his arm in disgust when when he works out what it is uh, and then he disappears around the corner it sounds so made up <laughs> he's been living um quite some years in in denmark maybe you should have him on the pod one day would you like to have a quiz about einstein yes you wrote something about you had um you have to ask people about some yeah. questions i was being uh, i was i was the people was einstein bring it on i didn't i didn't want to give you guys any advantage of like what i might possibly ask you so this quiz is called confidence with a k because it's coral themed very clever works of course over podcast medium and uh it's a guessing game like they all are and you want a lower number and a higher number and the aim is to the aim is for the answer to be within your range that you put and you get one point if your answer is in the range and you get three points if you're the closest person if you're like if your range your the smaller your range is the more you can get you get more points Do you understand? Have I explained that well? Do you understand? What if the range is like ten to ten, and you just guess it's spot on? Yeah, the spot on. You... Then like nailed it. That's like sixty nine points. Yeah. Okay. So if you're gonna guess, if I ask you the question like, how many days are there in the week? And Magnus, you go like four to ten, and Tim goes six to eight, and you both get a point, but Tim, Tim's range is smaller. So I win. So Tim Tim wins. Accounting total points or winner of round? Uh I think total points. And right. you play along at home with your uh with your friends if you're listening, if you're still with your family or with your friends. Maybe maybe this is a New Year party game and you could create you could have some fun uh fun rules. Just to give us a bit of pressure to get this out before New Year. I'm gonna even I've got even got some paper here to note down your scores. If you have to drink beers, then Tim will try to lose some purpose. Point Hippod recommends you drink responsibly when in this festive period. Right. Question one. Uh how many controls does Einstein think he has found during his orienteering career? so far i'm impressed he has an idea damn he doesn't know exact just to be just to be specific about this he doesn't know so i've got he's estimated for me how many how I many controls he think he, he thinks he's found i remember luca Basset at some point shared how many controls she had picked doing some years and i kind of remember some of the, the numbers And I thought that yeah. was quite high. So maybe I'm just gonna 
So if this quiz was about Luca Basse, you'd do really well. Unfortunately, it's not Magnus. Are the ladies allowed? I'm allowed to do some quick maths. Yeah, yeah. Do do some quick maths. I'm going to do some quick maths at home and get back to you with an answer. I'm going to base my math on Luca Basse. Okay. I don't know if Luca Basse is a listener, but if you are, Luca, please write in and... Uh, tell us if Magnus is correct with his maths or not. Are we allowed to know? Is it his whole career since he started? His orienteering? estimate, his entire, his where from when he started orienteering. Yeah, I have my wrench, so I'm sitting like this, signalling, and I'm ready. Okay. Maybe you should write it down, or you, you two, you boys, too honest to do any cheating. Or we can just write it in the WhatsApp group and. Uh... Oh yeah, okay, and then you can both send it simultaneously. Right, let's do that. I think I'm going to be way off. Tim is probably just going to see what I'm writing and just blame it on the time zone difference. I don't know whether I should be exact or not exact. Probably not exact. Okay, I have it ready, ready to launch it. Ready, Tim? Yeah. Three, two, one. Send it. <laughs> okay, the guess guess from Magnus, 110,000 to 140,000. Guess from Tim, 500,000 to 690,000. <laughs> They teach you how to cross roads in the UK. They don't teach you how to read thousands. You were like plus half a million controls. <laughs> I'm backing Oystein here. He's done a lot of orienteering. Right. Uh, 40 years worth. Oystein says he thinks the answer is around 120,000. So no. that is three points to Magnus and zero points to Tim. I should have stuck with my original calculation. I was doing how many controls I thought he'd punched in a week. Time the forced forty years. I I calculated one twenty four eight hundred on my calculator and then freaked out and did five hundred thousand. Okay. I remember. I'm pretty sure he was like uh, one year was something three thousand and another year was something five thousand. And I thought that was quite a lot because I did some math on it. How much it would be a day. So I thought like maybe Einstein has done something similar in that range and just multiplied it. And then and then inside knowledge, not fair. Yeah, thanks for showing you're working. Smart. It was like five times as much. <laughs> right. Are you ready for a new question? And we've been we've discussed this on the pod. How many maps does Einstein have on his Doma archive, or how many maps are accessible from World of O? Like, how many are in his map collection? No Tim, put your phone away. It's gone. Don't worry. That's a tricky one. Means if he only does like, like races or all of his trainings. Does it include broken links? If you go on to what is it? Maps.worldofo.com. It has popular collections. 
And how many does it how many does it say that Ostein has? Okay. Do we write in? Yeah, I have a guess. He's the fourth most popular or selected collections. Thierry Joju, Matt Streng, Simone Nigli, Ostein Kvelestable. I'm a bit scared to be way off again. Yeah. Uh, I'm ready. Yeah. Send Three, it. Two, one, go. Oh, we're closer this time. Uh, Tim Robertson, 650 to 1,000. Magnus, 900 to 13,000. And the correct answer is... No, 1,300. Sorry. Yeah. The correct answer is 1,769. So that's um, no oh. points to either of you. Rough. I was about to go about that high, but then I was like, that would be mental. But it's like, it's maps from like 2005. Yeah, but that would be like one map each day for four years. That's a lot. It's impressive. Done a lot of yeah. tearing. The last map's from 2021 as well. So, um, yeah, it could be a lot more. more in there. Right. Next question. How many times has Ostein been to China? Oh, I should have listened on the podcast <laughs> or on the recording. He said it. He said roughly, though. I reckon we've got the exact count now. Yeah, but you listened to the interview like one hour ago and that was like one week ago that's a disadvantage i can also remember traveling with him and he he's showing the the visas each time shouldn't complain I've, def I've definitely had a conversation with him about it um i don't know how accurate i should go i'm ready i'm ready right three two one eleven to thirteen for tim 10 to 13 for Magnus. Correct answer is 13 times. Oh, yes. So that's a point to Magnus and three points to Tim. Magnus leads 4 so 3. What's, oh, unfa what's unfair? I know it's according to the rules, but like, <laughs> we, we both have the upper limit the same. Cheeky bastard. Gotcha. I've been there once. Yeah, me too. Tim has been there quite a bit, I think. Yeah, three, just trying to think. Four times. Yeah, times. and then I think three times for, no, four times for orienteering and once for hockey when I was in high school. We went there on a pre-camp for the season over here and played against the Chinese women's team. Did you beat the women? No, we got smashed by them. We got so badly beaten that after half time we had to create mixed teams with some of the players on our team because it wasn't fun anymore is this the origin story of your orienteering career yeah this that's why it all began to quit hockey and start orienteering <laughs> oh, but that was my first trip to beijing embarrassing i'm ready yeah. for next question um how many countries has Ostein visited? Yeah, so there's roughly 200 countries in the world. Plus minus five countries. 
basing it basing it off how many I've been to and adding a couple of extra. Only a couple? Yeah. I think I've done quite a bit too. Okay, I'm ready. Ready, Tim? Yep. All right, three, two, one. Tim Robertson has 38 to 50. Magnus Stewart has 69 to 81. The correct answer is 48. Yes. Three points to Tim. Bastard. I don't know whether to drop this in as a as a bonus question or as a question on its own, which is how many of them has Einstein run orienteering in? All of them. Minus maybe a few? No, I'm going all yeah. of them. It's 45, so three countries missing. Damn. Which, you know which I, that, I, that, is re that is impressive. 45 countries doing orienteering. It's uh, amazing. Which ones did he not run? Did he say? I know that I think Kenya's one of them, and I don't oh, know what yeah. the other two are. There are arm sharing maps in Kenya. So uh, Yeah. No excuse. He 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 went to visit Mon Bustram, didn't he? And I think there's a um a map from that town, Mombasa. Yeah, that he he ran he ran in he ran that. Zanzibar? Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right. Final question. Uh, how many followers does Ostan have on Strava? Ooh. Right. I'm ready. Tim? I'm ready. <laughs> Never. Three, two, one, send. 950 to 1050 for Tim. Magnus, 1,020 to 1,100. Correct answer is 1,011. Yes. As of, as of this, as of recording, so that's three points to Tim, zero to Magnus. Game over. Tie final scores, Tim Robertson, nine. Magnus, do it, four. If I had this oh. right, I would have won. I totally failed on the first question, but what a comeback. Did you say 1,011? 1,011 followers. It's so embarrassing because I went to his profile as Just later now? today, <laughs> like five hours ago, and I saw he had 1,000 something. He deserves a few more. It's, uh, if you're not giving him a follow, let's bump up those numbers to Magnus's range. I would definitely recommend, especially with like this China content is going to be is going to be pretty awesome. I think that's coming over the next few days. So, drop post down and follow on uh, on Strava. Yeah, he's really good at sharing pictures and maps. I was actually really disappointed you couldn't find out how many like photos you'd ever uploaded to Strava. I couldn't work that out. Yeah, just a question. Ninety nine as the max for some reason. Yeah. So, well, thanks again for the for the chat, Ostein, and thanks for putting that time in to make this quiz happen. Hopefully, you've been playing along at home. If you've outscored uh, Tim, Tim, let us know how great you are. And uh, if you beat Magnus, make sure you tell him how terrible he is. <laughs> well done, Tim. I need to work out the scores for quizzes in 2023.
I feel like I have the edge. Did you um do do you get do you do you know what a cracker is, Magnus? Like something can be a cracker, like something really cool. Yep, but specific Christmas themed. You in Britain, and I guess in oh, New yeah. Zealand as well. You like pull, pull this thing, and one yeah. of you wins, where you win a prize. Do you, do you do that in Denmark? We do. Do you get what? What's in the presents? Some silly quotes that could be okay. uh, in Tim's uh, junior camp. Okay. Do you get jokes in them? Yeah, jokes or quotes, and then also like a, a king's hat. Yeah. Or queen's hat or whatever. Have you had any any good jokes, or is this just a total white waste of time? I had like two crackers this year, and I read them, and I forgot them, so they couldn't have been funny. How are they in Britain? Yeah, the same. Bad, a bad joke or some kind of puzzle, or and then something to some junk to play with. Never something offensive, sadly. No, no, you'd have to make your own crackers. Do we have crackers in New Zealand? We do, but we didn't have any this year, so I have no jokes to share. But I was wondering, New Zealand, you got summer right now, right? We do. So in Wellington, you would never have like snow at Christmas. But the strange thing is, all of our decorations and songs and, I don't know, if you walk into a supermarket, the, the theme is still snowy Christmas. So all the decorations are like snowflakes and snowmen, and outside it's 20 to 30 degrees. They're quite random. Never thought about it until I moved to Europe and came back. I was just about to ask if you even had Christmas in New Zealand. We do, but it's missing a lot of the tradition that you'd have in, in Europe from sitting indoors and baking cookies and stuff um when it's hot outside you just want to be at the beach so christmas is uh different for different families here obviously but a lot of people just go to the beach and have a barbecue what about christmas presents you have them under the tree do you yeah open yeah my family on does the 25th yeah opening on the 25th so kind of british inspired there i suppose we are a colony. That is so weird we always open it like during the evening on the 24th. Yeah. But what do you do on the 24th if you don't open the... You just eat food? Nothing. It's just, just a normal go to bed day. like a normal day. Kids are excited and try to stay up late. Like after the 24th, like it's just over. Next thing is New Year's. The 25th is just like a wet day. Nothing happens. And then I got a list. Just swap them around and then that is the same. Silly. That's Christmas. So thank you very much for joining us on the final episode of Orienteer Pod this year. And we wish you all the best in this holiday season and may have a successful and happy 2024. Bye. See you. Bye.